Arsenal pass another test. Lampard to leave Everton. Juventus are in hot water plus loads more. As joining me today on the One Football Podcast are Dan Burke. Hello, Matt. And Podrick Whelan. Hi, Matt. Good to be back. Uh, good to be back. When was the last time you were on, Podrick? Was it pre-World Cup? Yeah, I think so. Pre-World Cup. I believe I predicted Argentina to beat France in the final. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely I was not, say, but it was pre-World Cup pre-World. <laughs> we'll have to go and verify that um, for all of your outrageous takes that you can claim to have made or maybe not have made you can of course email us the address is podcast.onefootball.com or you can get, us, get at us on Twitter at onefootball um, lots of stuff to talk about this weekend like I've just mentioned we'll start with the obvious one as Arsenal beat Manchester United 3-2 um, stating the obvious here Dan but Arsenal looked pretty good didn't they Uh <laughs> Do they look more resilient to you than in recent years? I think they they went behind and were pegged back within the same game and still managed to come out on top. They did look very good, didn't they? Yeah, annoyingly good from my point of view, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's certainly enjoyable for their fans at the moment, I'm sure. And it was a, it was a fantastic game, this. Uh, I don't know if I'm quite ready to say that these two are, you know, the rivalry has been renewed and these two are, these two are back where they used to be in the old Ferguson v Wenger days. But we're certainly getting to that point and this was a... A really good game. Both teams played pretty well. I thought Arsenal were exceptionally good. United were probably just very good. Um, and a little bit unfortunate to lose the game in the end, although I, th- I do think Arsenal deserve to win it as well. And everybody's waiting for Arsenal to have this wobble, aren't they? And it seemed that them going a goal down in this game to that Marcus Rashford goal, which was a very well-taken goal. It's like, okay, this is a test of their metal now. How can how do they respond to this? Are they going to uh, become shrinking violence or are they going to... Uh, Tricky violence, or are they going to come out fighting? And they came out fighting, got themselves back into the game straight away. Went 2-1 up, then uh, United pegged them back again. But then I think Arsenal of old would have probably settled for a draw in that game and would have just gone, oh yeah, we'll, we'll take a point from this. It's been a, been a bit of a ding-dong. Maybe we deserve a bit more, but we'll just, we'll just settle for a draw. But this Arsenal, very aggressive team. You know, Saka is a prime example of that. You know, he's a player who I've always rated. I've always liked the look of him. Um, but I think he's been a little bit meek in previous years. And I think you've really seen him grow as a ma- into a man now. And he, re- he is an aggressive player. You know, that, that second goal he scored was fantastic. And the way he's just running at defenders, you know, he's going to give he's going to give defenders all over the country and all over Europe a nightmare mm. uh, this season and in the coming seasons. And uh, yeah, they got the... They got the goal that they deserved in the end. They kept pushing for that winner and, and got it. And um, that wobble just, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I keep thinking, you know, are they, are they, is this Arsenal team really going to get 100 points or, you know, anything close to that? I think um, that the, they're looking like they're capable of getting 90 plus points now, which is something I would never have dreamed of before the season began. Mm. And I just don't, there's no evidence to suggest that this wobble is going to come really. <laughs> I was thinking as soon as David De Gea was taking a little bit of time to take a goal kick and then he sort of fell over when someone grabbed his arm. As soon as they did that, I was like, right, mm. you're playing for the draw. This is like 88 minutes. You're going to get a sucker punch. That is just, that is tempting fate. That is yeah. tempting fate in a massive game. Um, obviously, Arsenal absolutely brilliant. But from Manchester United side, Podrick, did you expect Casemiro to be such a big miss? Like It was clear that they did miss him, evidently, in the middle of the park. Well, um, I'd ask you to respect Scott McTominay, please. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't think they missed him as much as, as got made out. Like, when he got the booking against Crystal Palace, I mean, you would have sworn it was like Rashford or probably someone that was going to be a bit more important for them. I, I thought that they coped quite well um, in like the centre of the park. I didn't really think that was a... A major problem. It was probably the, the two fullbacks that really 
they were probably the biggest letdowns for Eric Ten Hag um, on the day. I think Juan Bissaka and on the right and John the left just kind of never really got to grips with Arsenal out wide um, at any point in the game. So I thought it was probably there, and probably, and it might annoy Ten Hag even more that you know they kind of coped well in the the centre of the park. Like Dan said, like Man United did play really well. Like I was impressed with Man United. Arsenal were just that bit better. So yeah, I, I don't think Casemiro was. It really did come down to that in the end, despite all of the talk before the game. Obviously, that he was going to be the the key the key absentee for it. Yeah, I think I actually thought Wan Bissaka actually had a decent game in stages, put in some good tackles. But yeah, the way Enketia just waltzed past him for the first goal as well, like he was on the wrong side of the box, and then Enketia just makes a run in. You got to be more aware than that, surely. Surely, someone's <laughs> got to be telling him. It seemed a bit seemed a bit uh, laxadaisical was the word. Yeah. Although, yeah. he's, he's got a very good tackle in his locker, hasn't he, Juan Bissaka? But he's, he's, his sort of yeah, overall yeah, yeah. defending game, positional sense, leaves, leaves quite a bit to be desired. He's not great at stopping crosses coming in and stuff like that sometimes, but he'll make those uh, those sort of yeah. uh, tackles that get the crowd on, on the feet now and again. That, that is Honestly, there has never been a defender who who's worthy of a highlight reel, but Juan Bissaka might just be that guy. <laughs> like there's just like an amazing you compilation on YouTube of him <laughs> making, yeah, just making like awesome last ditch challenges whilst absolutely ignoring like the basics of the defensive game. I do think it's been quite good for him in his recent form, considering he it looked like he was going to be farmed out or they take no money for him or he's a complete failure to work his way back into the team and playing some pretty big games and some pretty big victories. Not actually too terrible for him, although you're right, I don't think it was him or Luke Shaw's greatest game uh, for United. I also thought Veghorst up top. I get what he's there for, but he didn't quite provide it. There was a lot of times where Gabriel just had free reign to just absolutely attack him and they needed to hold the ball up better towards the end because I, I feel like an Arsenal, a typical Arsenal performance we're seeing these days is unrelenting pressure. Yeah, like they'll just break you down sooner or later, um, and in that case, you just need someone to hold on to the ball. And if Ekos isn't going to do it, I just it, it was a, a real kind of that was the one bit of, I thought Man United could be smarter here. I don't know. Do you, do you think Ten Hag maybe could have made a change earlier, or was it just Arsenal were too good then? I don't know really. I mean, I, speaking of Ekos, I was watching the game and looking at Twitter at the same time. And people on Twitter were like, oh, he's, he's having a great game, Veghorst, isn't he? And I was like, am I watching the same game here? Like, he didn't do an awful <laughs> lot for me, really. He, he was sort of holding the ball up a little bit, well, you know, bringing players into play. I, th- I think Joel made the comparison a few weeks yeah. ago on the podcast about, about Giroud for France at the 2018 World Cup, where he's not going to be that much of a goal threat, but he's going to, you know, get get chances for, for the likes of Rashford and, and Martial and players like that around him and, and uh, Anthony, who... You know, the jury's very much out on Anthony for me. I think he looks pretty poor mm. for the, the amount of money United paid for him. And um, props shouldn't be starting a game of this magnitude, uh, especially as he only seems to have one foot, which isn't ideal considering how much he, yeah. he cost as well. But, you know, I think I think it's early days for him. Yeah, he's uh, he's still quite young, isn't he? But, uh, yeah, I don't know about Ten Hag's game management. I think it was just it was just Arsenal's relentlessness that just got them over the line in this game, yeah. um, which was just so impressive. I don't think United did an awful lot wrong on the day. Do you think, I'm trying to, 
pit the two uh, the two managers against each other in terms of their project because this is a lot of United fans were saying yeah but Arteta's three years into their project Ten Hag's only six months into his Manchester United project where do you think they should be at this minute given they're only six months in Man United Dan do you think they're overperforming underperforming or third suits them just about right I would say overperforming to be honest with you especially when you look at the start they made to the season you know the, the defeats to Brentford and, and Brighton everyone remembers those even the defeat away at City in the league um, they looked really you know below par that day like there was there was a huge gulf between the two sides and for United to just be a few points behind City at this stage um, I think is is they're ahead of schedule in terms of the development I think they've got a lot to look forward to they've got players that need to be brought in the you know their course isn't the answer is he he's just a, a stopgap solution because they can't afford to spend big on a striker this summer I think they'll, they'll try and do that in the, uh, in the coming summer and then next season they can they can really mount a proper assault on the title I think this game was perhaps a bit of a, a watershed for United in terms of whether they can actually compete for the title this year and I think the answer is now probably not. Um, but yeah, to be third in the league, I think that's really good. I think it helps that Liverpool have dropped off as well, obviously, and that uh, you know Chelsea haven't been good at all this season. That Spurs, going to say that, have been very, very inconsistent as well. So they're the third best team in in the league. But I think that perhaps says a bit more about the league than it does about them at the moment. <laughs> um, and as for Arsenal, Podrig, is their transfer business uh, evidence that they're trying to build something in the long term rather than just a? Uh... Um, a one-off title win or are they just cashing in on the fact they're quite an attractive side to sign for? Um, we've obviously seen Trossard join. He came on and there's two other defenders on the way and there's a Polish defender from Spezia. Um, I can't for the life of me pronounce his name. Kjovir? <laughs> Kivior, I think, yeah. Kivior. Um, and a, a one from Spain as well, a right back I think they've got an agreement with that hasn't signed just yet. Yeah, I mean, I I, I couldn't see either of those two. Um contributing a whole lot in the run-in, mm. whereas Trossard, I think, you look at him and you go, he can make a difference um, for the run-in, especially when he, Jesus is still uh, sidelined. Obviously, it gives them just more options because Trossard, he, he can play through the middle, play on the right, can play on the left. Um, it's just, it seems like, even when his agent was talking, just Spurs just kicked their feet that bit too long, and I think it's a, it's a great signing for Arsenal. Um, I think that one's probably very much for this season, whereas the other two um, I don't know much about yeah the the right back that's come in, but even I think in Italy they were quite surprised that um, the Kivior from Spezia that Arsenal are, are paying as much as they are and that he's he's getting a move that big. But then, like I said, I, I really I don't think he'll he'll contribute all that much um, for the run in this season. Anyway. Yeah. Do you think Arteta's sort of earned the trust of the board, the fans, with these maybe lesser known signings of? Trust me, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would. He's he's got so much credit in the bank now. I think he could sign you, and that well, you. I don't know if you would uh, <laughs> want that move. Maybe you would. I don't know. I don't know how uh, big your loyalties are, Matt. But that's how much credit he's probably got in the bank. The I feel moment. like we might have discussed this before. Would you move to your biggest rivals? Let's say Rangers put a big deal on the table for you, Podrick, and United for you, Dan. Yes or no? <laughs> no. I mean, what are the circumstances? Are United offering me a contract now? Like, swap one football for Man United? Because, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Let's say, yeah. You're an up-and-coming exciting talent. I could see a Dan burke vote veghorst battering ram partnership <laughs> up front for Man United. That would, that would worry defences. That would... The big man, big man combo. doesn't even cover it. Big man, big man. The lesser known of the... 
striking duos. <laughs> I was just about to say the lesser known combo up front of big man, big man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> There's that and then some. That'd be brilliant. You know, they've always got like um, the oldest partnerships. They're like, oh, they're a combined age of 72 uh, yeah. up front. <laughs> this would just be a combined height. It's <laughs> the tallest partnership in Premier League history. <laughs> I'm trying to think of one now. There's, there's probably one out there where two players have been fairly decent sized. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I can't think Sharing of anything. Sharing him and Ferdinand or something, maybe? I don't know. Mm. Sharing yeah. I'm sure Crouch and someone else would have been not so bad. Mm. Crouch and John Walters, that's probably at least 12 foot five. Shearer and Sutton <laughs> are both quite tall guys as well. I suppose. Sutton's quite tall. Don't know about. Sheila, yeah, maybe true. they, maybe Sheila, they might yeah. be the closest. Maybe there's probably something Miggin that Burnley have done down there. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> if they, <laughs> there's probably something, I'm trying to think of one now. Anyway, if if you could think of one, the tallest strike partnership. Yeah, yeah get in touch. Like I said, that just, one just on that, by the way, I've, I've, I've uh, Burnley stopped being the punchline for those kind of jokes now that Vincent Company's taken over and they become a bit I more know, cosmopolitan. Yeah. yeah, we should. We should. We need a new reference point now, don't Who, we? Who's Someone, I don't know. It was always them. For me, it was always kind of just growing up in this era, era Stoke or West Brom. Yeah. Sean Dyche's Everton, yeah, that could be one to uh, keep an eye out for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good Lord. Sean Dyche's Everton. What a thought that would be. Anyway, we'll get on to Frank <laughs> Lampard a little bit later. We'll go next to Manchester City in their 3-0 victory over Wolves or Erlen Haaland's 3-0 victory over Wolves, I should say. Uh, Dan, we were speaking a few weeks ago about whether or not he's made City better or worse and how the fact when he goes in a goal drought doesn't seem to do much like in a Manchester derby. Is this just the sort of criticism that he'll have to accept when he doesn't score much because that's all he seems to do? And that, <laughs> that hat trick against Wolves I've seen was scored with just 16 touches all game, which it, it's mental for me to think that someone sees that little of the ball in 90 minutes <laughs> or 62 minutes or whatever he played. Yeah, he was only on for an hour yesterday, to be fair. But yeah, it's, it's become quite a, a modern phenomenon, this sort of uh, obsession with touches. I remember the first time it really sort of was a talking point was when Lukaku got like eight touches in a game for Chelsea last season. I remember us talking about it on the podcast being like, "What? how mm. the hell? Like, is that even possible, really? And then it's become a bit more of a talking point with Haaland this season. Um, and I, I don't know what sort of, how many touches a number nine striker is supposed to have in a game, really, what the kind of average is. I read last week that apparently under yeah. Guardiola, Aguero averaged about 25 touches per game. And he was someone who would get involved in the game a little bit more than Haaland, drop deep and stuff like that. Um, whereas the, the plan with Haaland for City at the moment is very much just sort of like stay in the box, stay in between the posts and we'll, we'll try and get the ball to you and, and you do the rest. Um, and <clears throat> Guardiola summed it up pretty perfectly post-match with, with Haaland where he said, um, when he doesn't score, he's a problem for City. When he does score, he's the solution and he's constantly in between those two states. And that is just that's just how it is really. And I think, you know, the, the key buzzword around this move in the summer and throughout this part of the season has been adaptation. How is he going to adapt to, to the Premier League, to Guardiola's football? And how are City going to adapt to having him there? And we're still very early in that process, I think. But he scored 25 Premier League goals in that time. So imagine what it's going to be like when we're further down the line in that process. He's got four Premier League hat-tricks already. And it doesn't look like the synergy is quite there yet. So it's ridiculous. It stands to reason yeah. that he's just going to get better and better. And, you know, Guardiola is going to learn to adapt his his game to, to Haaland. I mean... I, 
he made a pretty um, telling comment in his. I mean, he's been having a lot of fun in the press conferences lately, Pep, hasn't he? Yeah. And he was talking about after the Spurs game the other night, Harry Kane, what a striker! And it kind of made me think. Oh, I wonder if actually he would have preferred to sign Kane when City wanted Kane the year before, and Haaland was was almost like the plan B, and and Kane might have. Mm been a bit better for City than Haaland is in some way, in the way that he can drop deep and, and that kind of thing. Whether that is what Pep would see an ideal number nine as, as opposed to Haaland, who his link-up play isn't abysmal, but it needs a lot of work, his hold-up play as well. Um, yeah. yeah, like I say, 25 Premier League goals. So how can that be a problem, really? Yeah, I know. Think about where you'd be without those 25 Premier League <laughs> yeah. goals. Let's just... Let's just put that into a little bit of perspective. I also think Haaland's probably got way more to work on than with Kane. I'm not saying mm. Kane can't be taught anything new, but, you know, he's sort of eight years older, I think, than Haaland, yeah. nine years older than him. So there might be there might be something in that. And uh, Let's put it this way. Kane would have cost double what Haaland cost because of his release clause anyway. Mm. So maybe maybe it's a good deal. Or maybe that's just me trying to talk Kane into staying at the club. But that's something <laughs> else we'll get on to as well in just a little bit. Uh, we'll stick with City for a minute, though. Podrick? Phil Foden, wanted to talk about him. Um, do you think he's fallen off a little bit apart from this apparent foot injury that he's got? Um, he can't really seem to get a regular start in the team and we haven't seen the best of him, let's say, post-World Cup. Yeah, that's what, that, that was the only one I was going to add was just that I think he's, he's had a, I think he's had a good season. It's just pretty much post-World Cup that he's not, he's not really come back, hit the ground running. Um, I've seen some conspiracy theorists are already trying to suggest that maybe maybe he's not actually got a foot injury and Pep just doesn't fit. But I don't get why you would leave him out of a, a match day squad. But then, like for all that you think, like Foden's having a a poor season, as some people might put it, or you compare that to Rashford, who everyone's raving about. I think their their stats are pretty similar this season. I think mm. Rashford's got two more goals than Foden. And they've got the same amount of assists. If you just even look at it that way, um, mm. I think overall there's definitely no like Rashford is having the better season for sure. But it's even even interesting that you know just those kind of base stats that he's not that far behind, and the perception of one is that yeah he's really struggling at the moment, and the other one is is on fire, can't miss. But um, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's the third thing. I mean, he's still really young as well. I think he only turns twenty three this year. It feels mm. like he's been around. I mean, he has. He's been around for for mm. so long. Maybe it's a case of like just a little bit of burnout. He's played a lot of football. Um, it could actually be that he's just he's been carrying this injury for a while, and that that is just it's as simple as that. That's what affects him. But he's yeah, he's definitely um, definitely not been quite the same since uh, the new year. Yeah, and to say that Rashford's been on absolute fire since he broke into the team, you know, six, seven years ago is also not completely true. So maybe maybe we'll cut Foden some slack. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on, Liverpool-Chelsea, 0-0. The less said about this ball draw, the better. Uh, it seemed to me that everyone online was very excited about Mudrick um, after his little cameo for Chelsea towards the end of the game. Were you one of them, Dan? Did you, did you believe in the hype from the 15, 20 minutes you saw? I was actually, yeah. I mean, I've, I've I watched a sort of YouTube compilation of him last week, sometime of his time at Shakhtar. I thought, oh yeah, he looks he looks quite good. Um, and I just thought, well, how long is it going to take him to kind of show that in the Premier League? Is he ever going to show that in the Premier League? Is he going to be one of these sort of YouTube compilation players who, um, you know, never really takes takes it up to the next level? I mean, I'd like to think the scouts of both Arsenal and Chelsea did a bit of homework on him beforehand and uh, knew what they were getting, spending that amount of money on him. But uh, yeah, the first impressions are really good, you know, to go to a, a ground like Anfield on your your debut and play with that kind of bravery and that kind of aggression. I think that was, it was really good. You know, there was that moment uh, where he sort of danced through 
um, a, a few players in the box and hit the side netting. Uh, that was that was a good opportunity. Um, he got a proper welcome to England tackle from James Miller at some point as well. So he's got that out of out of the way now. And uh, yeah, he looks like a good player. You know, it's like we've been saying for weeks, and we're not entirely sure what the plan is at Chelsea in terms of player recruitment. Um, whether this was the kind of player that they needed in the, at this moment in time, whether they've paid too much money for him, whether Todd Bowley was almost seduced into into signing him because of Arsenal's interest. Um, but above all else, he looks like a really good, talented player, and it's going to be exciting to see what he can do. And Podrigo, is there anything that Klopp can take moving forward from this sort of performance, apart from the fact that they desperately need a midfielder? <laughs> yeah, apart from that, absolutely <laughs> nothing. That is, that was, oh, that was just the biggest non-entity of a game I think yeah. we've been all season. For one that you expected more of, and then as I think a lot of people have pointed out, well, when ninth plays against tenth, maybe these are the kind of <laughs> games you expect. But. Uh, just given the players on show, yeah, I think we expect a lot better. I, th- I think it's one of those every Liverpool fan, every Chelsea fan, and I'm sure Klopp and Graham Potter will be the same. Or just let's uh, forget this one happened. We'll move on. But you are absolutely right. That is a side that is crying out for a midfielder. Um, and it's, I mean, I guess when Arthur Mello's fit, he'll seem like a new <laughs> signing. I mean, he still kind of is a new signing, but yeah. That's a big if, though, isn't I mean, it? I don't know Seems with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's got Kim Kallstrom vibes written all over it. <laughs> like that is uh. that is that is a dreadful signing if I've ever seen one. I don't understand. In, in recent years, I feel like Liverpool, especially at Anfield, they've always found a way to win. That there's always been some the, 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 whether the crowd have sucked it into the goal. You know, there's always been that kind of element that something mad could happen, but it seems to have drained out of them. Do you reckon it's one of those self-perpetuating things, Dan, that if the team doesn't do well, the fans are less, um, uh, what's the word, less expectant of them to actually pull the finger out and do something. And then the players feel like the fans aren't really on their side. And then the fans feel that the players aren't really giving it their all. And it's just a cycle that's very difficult to get out of. Yeah, it's just hard to put your finger on exactly what has happened to Liverpool this season because obviously the injuries they've had have been a factor and the the, the lack of a midfield signing is definitely, you know, I'm, I'm sure they would have been in a better state if they if they had signed someone. Um, you know, by the same token, Fabinho has really, really dropped off this year. He's been a very, you know, uh, loyal um, and, and reliable player for them over the years. Jordan Henderson isn't quite the player he was. I think time's caught up with him a little bit now. Um and yeah, if they just don't have that driving force from the middle. But then even you look at like Salah, like he looks like a different player at the moment. You know, he looks like he's been zapped of his powers or something, a bit like Son at Tottenham. I just mm. I just wonder with some teams and some players, whether the schedule of not just this season with the World Cup in the middle, but the last couple of years, you know, the COVID um, delays, the way that uh, one season almost ran directly into another uh, over that time, whether it's just, it's just caught with a, a lot of, teams and players now who were who high performers during that time and I don't know what it's going to take Liverpool to get back to where they were because I keep a little, little bit like waiting for Arsenal to wobble I keep waiting for Liverpool to just hit their stride again and it's just not happening this game looked like a good opportunity for them to do that to me against uh, you know one of the bigger teams at home Saturday lunchtime kickoff it just felt like oh here's a we'll see a bit more of the the old Liverpool back here but yeah there was none of it there really um, and I think it's going to take them a little bit of time to bed in the likes of Nunez and, and Gakpo, um, get them to where they need to be. But uh, yeah, I don't yeah, know if, if just one... if off it so far, hasn't he? 
Yeah. Mm. I don't know if just one signing is just going to change Liverpool's fortunes. It seems like the problems run a bit deeper than that. And I was chatting to Joel about it and he, even he doesn't really understand what the, what the issue is. Um, the ball actually was in the net once, though, during the game for Kai Havertz. Oh, yeah. I know it was offside, right? Like, I know it was offside because Havertz's ball was in front of, was it Thiago Silva, I think, who took the shot and it bounced back to him. Do you feel it was a little bit harsh considering it was his other foot? Or am I just being a bit too pedantic here? Oh, offside, Matt. Offside is offside. <laughs> I know it was offside and I accept it. Goals. Although that may have been a lot different of a game because, I mean, that did come after four minutes, so... Maybe yeah, if that maybe had counted and Liverpool came at them, yeah, it could have been a whole different. We could have been discussing that first. Who knows? But yeah, instead, I'd, I'd, it's a it's a side note, isn't it? It's a footnote, <laughs> and it's offside. I, just, I feel, I feel, I know it's offside. I just, I as I was watching, I was thinking, fuck, his foot's got to be there to stand up. Otherwise, he's just one leg and yeah. just falls over, and it sort of comes back to his his other foot. It's unfortunate, but it's offside. offside. Maybe another referee might have thought that his foot wasn't interfering with play, though, because, uh, you know, the offside rule is very much open to interpretation these days, isn't it? So Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's subjective. It's subjective. He's there. I actually thought Mudrick was going to score at the end. It was a great ball to him at the back post, and he it looked like he decided to take a first touch. Yeah, it was a bad just touch. Bang on the volley. Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> that is honestly headlines. The headlines were there. I was very impressed, actually, though, by him. I just, there was something about, you know, when the. You obviously, we obviously watch a lot of football and you obviously watch the thousands of players over the course of, you know, a decade or so. You can tell when someone's different because they move different. Mm. Like, it's not necessarily that he does anything out of this world. Like, he doesn't need to reinvent the wheel. Like, dribbling past the player is something that lots of players do. But yeah, there was something about the way he moved. He looks to me to be very um, in that Usman Dembele form of, is he left-footed or right-footed? Like, which way is he going to go? You know, there's there's a good shift in in his body when he dribbles, and I think, yeah, I was wondering why they would pay so much money for him and so desperately beat Arsenal to a signature. But he looks good to me. Having said that, yeah. let's wait until he. Yeah, Matt's seen you know. forty minutes and he's got him winning the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just thought he's he in love. Like he has the capabilities of being yeah. a good player. Yeah, he, he's got the X factor. A, a rogue, a rogue, tattooed blonde footballer. <laughs> That's true. Liverpool in the mud. That would have been the headline, wouldn't it, if he'd scored the yeah. last minute goal? <laughs> yeah. Oh, very good. Oh, Dan. Oh, get the, talking of that, I've actually got I've got a horrific joke to end the show. So we'll uh, <laughs> we'll save all the gags until then. Someone <laughs> sent one in, and it's that bad. I had to. It's niche, and I had to I had to air it out. I just let it air for the for the last few minutes of the show. Uh, next up, West Ham against Everton. This is a, a mid-table clash in years gone by. Now it was a relegation six-pointer, which Everton <laughs> won 2-0. Um, West Ham the won final nail in the coffin for Frank Lampard. Sorry, West Ham won 2-0. Who did I say? Everton. Everton. <laughs> that did not happen. Everton did not <laughs> win 2-0. They How they could do with that being reality, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't ma- I don't make the scorelines up on this podcast. Um, <laughs> Lampard, at the time of recording on Monday afternoon, Lampard is technically still in a job, uh, awaiting official confirmation for him to be sacked by Everton. It looks like the end of the road. The word lacklustre is what I've written down here, and it doesn't even describe half of Everton's performance in East London. It was, you know what, there aren't enough bleeps for me to uh, to bleep out in this show to describe <laughs> Everton's performance. Uh, but is there a manager post-Lampard get, um, capable of getting any sort of tune out of these players, Podrig? Um, or for some reason, is that old adage of going down and starting again a good option, which seems to always baffle me? 
Yeah, I don't think that's a good option either. When is <laughs> when is getting relegated ever ever been a good thing? Especially start forever. again, like <laughs> new stadium and all that kind of thing on the way. I think you've you've there's already been um, kind of articles and stuff out there about just how big a disaster it would be for Everton if they were mm. to get relegated. So yeah, I don't think that's an option. Um, what might be an option is what Dan mentioned earlier, Sean Deitch. I mean. He he could be the one they go to just for someone just to like that old adage of just we'll make ourselves tough to be we'll do the heart do the dirty work we'll be organised we'll be resolute mm. we'll try pick up enough points between um, now and the end of the season but I mean the the damage could be done there's no guarantee there but I mean I guess it would be a safer option than you see some of the other names kind of being talked about like. Bielsa and stuff, which mm. I just that would be that'd be an absolutely crazy risk. David Moyes, to take. Moyes. I mean, yeah, but maybe he's bought himself enough time now after the the six pointer, or as I seen some people mm. are calling it a relegation twelve pointer. That's <laughs> close the two of them were in the table. I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not having this twelve pointer. That's, Jesus, that's how does that even work? Um, <laughs> I know, yeah. Like mathematically, I don't like, understand six pointer. Yeah. yeah, I know that six was stretching it, but yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess Moyes will probably, well, like whether he's there or not long term, because it, by all accounts they were ready to fire him if if he hadn't mm. won at the weekend. It might just be a stay of execution for him. Um, but yeah, Everton. I mean, I really don't know to be honest. Deitch maybe is just the one you look at. He's available. You could probably get him in the door quickly. They probably have enough quality in the squad that, I mean, if someone else came in, they could uh, turn it round. But I really wouldn't be optimistic. They just seem like they're just heading in one direction at the minute. I I fail to understand sometimes when people, you, you mentioned it there, uh, this, this sort of do the dirty work, make themselves hard to beat. One, football players should be doing that anyway. But two, isn't the opposite their problem? Their problem is doing the nice work and scoring at the other end <laughs> of the pitch. But I don't think they do a lot under Lampard. <laughs> like, I don't even think Lampard's got this discernible state. Like, at Derby, he did. In Derby, they were quite fun and exciting. And maybe he was helped by having, you know, the, it was quite a young squad and they were quite fun. And then the first season at Chelsea went okay. But if you ask me what like Lampard's Everton are supposed to look like, mm. and then they're picking up these results, like when they went to Man City a few weeks ago and just like one wonder goal out of nothing and they come out of that and he looks like a genius and, I mean, City should have won it that day pretty comfortably. They break up the other end, score that goal and all of a sudden, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I do take your point about why Why should Sean Dyche be delivering something that a Lampard team isn't already doing? Yeah. Sure. I feel like it's always the, it's always thrown around that, oh, Lampard doesn't have the uh, the nous to navigate a, a relegation battle. He hasn't got the experience. He hasn't been there before. But he's also never managed a team to mid-table. Or has he managed a <laughs> team to the title? So it pretty much renders him useless to doing anything. Yeah. Like, everyone has to start somewhere. They've got to start somewhere. I mean, I, technically, he did get them out of a relegation battle last year, but it doesn't look as dire as this season, I think, is the uh, I think is the main takeaway from that bit. Anyway, yeah, it looks as though by the end of Monday night, or by the time that you guys are listening to this out there, uh, Frank Lampard will no longer be at Everton and will will await Sean Dyche's um, 
press conference looking exactly the same. Maybe maybe he'll go different for Everton, like get rid of the goatee, just have a moustache instead to show him his business. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that a sign that someone means business? head of hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that, hey, you don't don a moustache unless you mean business. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's been uh, sucking on some well. cough sweets in the time that he's been out of football and has, has got a normal <laughs> voice again now. I'll just come in with a crystal clear Imagine voice. He, come, he comes back like Martin be? Keown, all of a sudden speaking eloquently on TV yeah. every time I see him. I'm like, this isn't the football I remember. <laughs> Honestly, bizarre football comebacks. Uh, right, that is it for the Premier League <laughs> section of this podcast. But as we do have our resident Serie A know-it-all, Podrick on the, on the pod, I thought you could explain to us a little bit about what on earth Juventus did to get a 15-point deduction. They are back They are back on the football pitch with a three-all draw against Atalanta, but they're currently ninth now because of that point that they picked up. Um, does it impact any transfer business? I saw someone saying, oh, there's going to be a fire sale at Juve and you know everyone can get picked up on the cheap, like at Supermarket Sweep. But I don't think that's <laughs> the case, is it? No, I'm not sure that will be the case. I mean, I don't think they'll be signing anyone... Um, anytime soon but I mean a lot of the it seems like a lot of those reports about um, a fire sale and people coming to pick the bones of the carcass and all of that are coming from like um, clubs or media outside of Italy it's not actually coming from anyone there but um, mm. yeah basically I think Juve they were pretty much in uh, the simplest terms I suppose inflating the the values of their players when they were selling them, which obviously is a big deal then because it goes into the accounts and then it seems like more was come and all of that kind of thing. So I think some of the transit it was like Pjanic and Arthur, remember the there was a lot of kind of eyebrows raised over that swap. Mm. I think that was the big one that was kind of annoyed. But, so, but I mean, it should also be pointed out that it's not just UV that were um, that were investigated. I think there was 62 transfers were were looked at and but forty two of those involved UV, so they've probably been the the biggest offenders for sure. Um there's even talk of and it's not part of that one, but there was talk even last year of when Oshiman signed for Napoli that he was his transfer was also being looked at for a similar kind of thing with the it was being inflated. So um so yeah it's it's not looking good for, for UV but Napoli uh, not involved in that one. I think the only other Serie A teams in the latest one were Sampdoria and Empoli, but they've been acquitted and of anything. Mm. So yeah, just just Juve that are in big <laughs> big trouble. When you say inflated, so that that Arthur and uh, and Pjanic swap, have they basically said that we think these players are worth sixty million euros or whatever? Oh, well, so yeah. therefore, so therefore, yeah. that is how much this transfer is like booked us, but in actual fact. I mean, who determines what a player is worth, exactly. though, I guess, would be the question, yeah. Yeah, well, this is this was it, and it's. I think a lot of them as well were involving youth team players and players that had maybe never played. So who was to really say how much a certain youth player was worth? Worth Nobody's really seen them in action much. Mm. Nobody knows how good they could be. So in particular, those ones as well, where it's um, where it just yeah, it becomes maybe a little easier to to claim, oh, this player's value is worth this. And, um, yeah, but, I mean, Juve have appealed it as well, actually, but I think it's another mm. two months before they find out um, if the appeal's going to be successful or not. Uh, I don't know how confident they'll be with that it, one. Isn't it less to do with how much they value a player and how much they tell the taxman 
how much they received for someone? Because surely, because surely, if if they received, I don't know, twenty million for a player, but they said, oh no, actually, we sold him for sixty. That then gives them forty millions worth of breathing space when it comes to the FFP rules. No. Well, yeah, yeah, FFP is a part of it, but I mean, the when it comes to the the tax side of it, then mm. then I would be a. Uh, I would be the wrong man. We'll have to get a financial <laughs> okay. advisor in, yeah. probably. To, uh, to I was going to say our, well, our one of our uh, Spanish desk editors, Danny, is in, and he every time I talk to him, he seems to be well into a uh, well into the financial side of football. So maybe we should go, we should have got a little take from him. Um, is this? I saw on Twitter someone mentioning that the fact that Syria have actually decided to do something about this. Maybe a little bit dangerous for some other clubs. I'm not going to point the finger at Manchester City, Dan, but seeing as you're on, would you say that it's something the Premier League could maybe take a leaf out of their book and look at Chelsea, especially look at Manchester City and maybe even in the future Newcastle, though I don't think they've done anything too wrong just mm. yet in terms of transfer dealings. Is that something that worries you? I don't know. I mean, City have apparently been under investigation by the Premier League for about five years now, and there's just no end in sight of this investigation <laughs> or, 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 you know, what has been found. Um, you know, obviously, obviously City went through the bill with the UEFA ban and then going to the, the CAS, and the CAS eventually just sort of said, well, we couldn't really find any evidence uh, of, of wrongdoing, and the stuff that sort of didn't look good for City was all time-barred anyway, it was all too long ago for it to make any difference. So... I'd like to think, as a City fan, that City are in the clear on that kind of thing now. Uh, Chelsea, uh, I'd be a bit concerned about them, about the, the amount of money they've been throwing around, especially if they don't end up in the Champions League and get that big windfall that, that you get from being in the Champions League this year, which is, is looking very unlikely for them at the moment, where, how, how they're making those numbers work. Um, I think there's yeah a lot of amortisation, which is a very football finance word, um, which I don't truly understand, but I can throw it around like the best of them and uh, and pretend that I do know what it means. But yeah, <laughs> I think there's a lot of that kind of creative accounting, for want of a better word, going on. And uh, I mean, I don't know if um, Newcastle have got any case to answer at the moment because they've not spent an awful lot of money. But if that were to change, if they were to start yeah. throwing the cash around, uh, you know, I think they they want to get themselves in the Champions League as soon as possible as well. Um, then uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes with them. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really know an awful lot about this Juventus case to be to be perfectly honest with you, apart from what Podris just told us. And uh, it seems like Juve are on pretty shaky ground in terms of this appeal. Yeah, it seems it's a little bit odd to be honest because there's always these rumours of what could and couldn't happen in the Premier League. I think the last time I remember someone getting a massive fine was when West Ham got fined five and a half million for Tevez and Mascherano those signings, and they didn't mm. even get a points deduction. That was however many years ago, but it never seems to really happen in the Premier League. Like, Juve, Juve have just dropped to ninth. They've just lost yeah. 15 points. That would be <laughs> yeah. absolute havoc if that happened in the Premier League. Yeah. That's a really, be pretty really, hilarious if they get really them back really later in the season one. as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine like one month into your summer holidays and you find out you're not in the Champions League. They've <laughs> yeah. just been given 15 points. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, even, I, I even now, though, they're still... They're still quite far off um, even like sixth place and I think they might be nine yeah. or ten points off sixth now after that so they've got a lot of ground to make up even for that um, I mean you, you can probably see now why they were pushing for the, the Super League so, so yeah. Yeah. one of the one of the culprits they might have knew, knew that this was in the in the offing because obviously they had all all their whole board pretty much design, uh, resigned yeah. as well over all of this so yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's crazy times at UV. Maybe they count their lucky stars they weren't relegated again or 
or sent to the third division yeah. a la yeah. Rangers back in the back <laughs> not, in the day. Not relegated Who? the last time, Matt. They were demoted, I think a lot of demoted. Italian Sorry, football fans would say. Yeah. <laughs> and now there's this this new Rangers or whatever Celtic fans. Oh no, I wasn't I was I was talking about UV. I'm not even getting into that. <laughs> <laughs> Rangers. Refuse to admit that the new club is the old club, apparently. I'm not going to mind you up <laughs> on that, Podrick. I'm not getting involved in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to leave the fish dangling. Uh, but before we um, move off of Syria, Dan, Adamola Lukman, a name that Everton fans will remember, and Fulham mm. and, and Leicester as well, had a few loan spells. It didn't always work out. He went to Leipzig, and I think he only played a handful of games in the Bundesliga. But now... With three braces in the last three games, has got eleven goals in Syria. Um, one of them was a cup game as well. Um, eleven goals in Syria. The second top scorer, unbelievable form. Arguably the most informed Englishman in Europe at the minute. Um, but what are we seeing that's so different for him in Syria? Don't think or is he, it just he a doesn't case... count as English anymore? Does he? Is he not? He's well, Nigerian he international Nigeria, now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was born in Nigerian South London. Yeah. I think he's played six or seven games to them. Yeah, that's it. Um, but what what what's the difference? Is he just getting out of the English media spotlight, and we're seeing a sort of Chris Smalling style renaissance of him? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I I actually went to interview Luckman when he was playing for RB Leipzig uh, a few years ago. I'm not trying to take credit for his uh, his his rise or anything like that. Just just putting it into context. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a very nice lad. And I, my, my takeaway at the time was that maybe he's a bit too nice, and maybe that would kind of hold it hold him back in his career. That was the sort of feeling that I got from him, and it's. You know, it's it's always been challenging for for young English players to go to different countries and play football. You know, in the time that I've been alive, anyway, it's something that until fairly recently was was not done very much. You know, players who would go over there and assimilate into a new culture and a, a new language and that kind of thing it just did, didn't really happen an awful lot. And I think the Bundesliga has become a um, a bit of a fallow field for English players in recent years going over there. And now you've seen it with Serie A as well. And in between playing for Leipzig and, and Atalanta, Luckman was at Fulham and Leicester. Didn't rip up trees at either of them. You remember his, uh, his missed penalty for Fulham when he tried to penanker it and made a right mess of it. Yeah. yeah. Was it a West that, Ham, wasn't it? I think so, game? yeah. Yeah. And then at Leicester, he didn't do an awful lot uh, last season there either. So when he went to Atalanta, I kind of thought, oh, it's a bit of an odd move for him, really. I don't know. Is that a bit of a kind of desperation move from from them and from him that he's gone there? And uh, yeah, he's in he's in fantastic form. And uh, yeah, maybe maybe Tammy Abraham is a more apt comparison than uh, than Chris Smalling, given the position that they play. You know, Tammy Abraham's come on leaps and bounds. He's gone to Roma as well, and uh, and Luckman's looking looking really good as well. And I don't know. Perhaps Podrick can explain a bit better why why Serie A has been such a, a good uh, place for English players to kind of find some form in recent years. Scottish players as well. Indeed, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even more so, probably. <laughs> uh, Ferguson and Doig and yeah, I, I'm, it's, a, it's a strange one. I don't know why so many have kind of ended up out there in recent years, but uh, yeah, like you said, even Tammy Abraham, like he's not had the best of seasons this year compared to last mm. year and was kind of That's why I didn't compare them. Wow, well, that, that was right. So you <laughs> went with Chris Smalling instead. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, Small he got a great goal at the weekend. I don't know if anyone saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, Adamola bagged two against Juve, and he looked he looked really good. I I was thinking the one reason that could be is because, like you mentioned, Dan, no one actually goes over there. So when when like Abraham goes over there and says, "Oh, he's brilliant. Why don't England, you know he's done so well?" and maybe Syria suits him. We haven't had an example of an English player going over to Syria and it not suiting them because no one actually goes over. Mm-hmm. So there's not even like there's not a good enough pool of of data 
Um, it's just that maybe these players are actually good footballers. Yeah. And maybe we're just enjoying them a bit more. I well, don't know. There might be something Harry, Harry Winks isn't play. quite ripping it up at Sampdoria now. <laughs> he yeah. only made his debut last week. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. So for every be, Chris uh... Smalling and Tammy Abraham, there's there's a Harry Winks out there. Yeah. Sorry, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we'll gloss over his uh, short-lived Sampdoria career. Uh, we'll move on to some transfer talk now. And really interesting, you've you've all sort of mentioned uh, various points that we'll we'll touch on. So I'll start actually um, with you, Dan, and a name that may not be familiar to so many listeners, in Jamie Bino Gittens, uh, another Dortmund star who followed in Sancho's footsteps by leaving Man City's youth team and heading to Germany. Scored at the weekend. They might have got an assist as well. Maybe I'm making that up. Uh, he scored as well as Bellingham in Dortmund's 4-3 victory. Do you think it's a bit of a shame when City let youngsters go and they come quite good, Dan? Or do you trust the club that their decision-making at the time is is for the best? I think it's just a, a bit unavoidable if you're a club like Manchester City who have so much money to spend on players, who you know spend money pretty much every summer on new players and um, there are expectations on you to win the Premier League, the Champions League, whatever, every season to kind of create a clear pathway to the first team for these youngsters all the time. And um, I think in, in Bino Gittin's case, it was similar to Sancho. He'd not, even, he'd not even signed a professional contract, I don't think. So City basically had no leg to stand on in terms of keeping him. He wasn't under contract. Um, he saw the opportunity at Dortmund and, and Dortmund in particular have been a club over the years where you can go there as a young player and know that you'll get a chance. And then, you know, a couple of years down the line, you might end up going back to England in an £80 million transfer a la Jadon Sancho. And I think like City, you know, there, there have been players in recent years who've made the grade, you know, like Phil Foden being the main one, Cole Palmer coming through now. Um, Rico Lewis like looks amazing and um, looks like a really ideal uh, sort of inverted fullback for, for the way that Pep wants to play. So, um, But for every Rico Lewis, there's going to be 10 players who just aren't quite at that level or, or see the better opportunities to play for themselves elsewhere, really. So I just think it's a bit of an unavoidable situation. And the academy at all big clubs isn't just there to produce players for the first team. It's there to you know make profits on players and, and make a bit of money for the club and uh I don't know. I think they got some sort of compensation fee for Bino Gittins and he looks really good. And it's a shame that he uh, didn't come through at City. But, you know, for every Bino Gittins, there's also sort of a, a Rabi Matondo who who leaves the club as a youngster and, and expects to go in and do great things and hasn't done great things at all. So it's, uh, it, it can work oh, both yeah, ways sometimes. Not. <laughs> yeah. is he at, he's at Rangers now, isn't he? Up. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he is, yeah. yeah. Really? Since when? Since the summer? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. I think maybe it's me asking the question because as a Spurs fan, having seen Noni Madueki now sign for Chelsea for 40 million euros from PSV <laughs> and he was a guy that Spurs let go, you know, I think 2016-17 or let go, maybe they just couldn't offer him a, a way into the first team. Given that Spurs since then have failed to blood any youngsters into the first team, apart from Oliver Skip, who I wouldn't say is a, a guaranteed starter, certainly not a, a 40 million pound player like Chelsea have signed, it's a bit sickening, to be honest. Mm. It's all right if you're pr- producing Phil Phones and Rico Lewis's every other season, but Spurs aren't. So that, that's really hit me in the gut. Marcus um, Edwards as well, Matt. There's another one. Yeah, oh, yeah got away Marcus from you. Edwards. At the time, though, I remember Pochettino talking a lot about him and how he needed to get away um, from from yeah, England, I guess, yeah. from London, and sort of you know get his head straight and play for another team abroad. So I I backed Pochettino's decision on it, but. 
yeah, we're looking a bit foolish now if we're held to ransom for about 50-odd million. Yeah. That's a bit mad. <laughs> uh, but talking of Spurs, though, Podrick, simple question, is Harry Kane mental? Apparently, <laughs> he is going to be signing a new deal at Tottenham. Um, does he believe in Spurs more than any other person has ever done in the history of ever? Or is it something that maybe behind the scenes it'll allow him to go for a good fee if United or someone come in and, you know, he's also helping Spurs protect their financial interests too? Um, yeah, I mean, I maybe you kind of want to take him at, his, at the value of, of the, the story you're talking about. Obviously, that Harry Kane apparently is open to, to signing a new contract at Spurs. Um, although I think, to be fair, the story did say that he will... He still wants the same kind of reassurances that, well, if I am going to stay, I want guarantees that that this is a club that's going places, that will win trophies. And t- t- to be fair to Kane, um, when he, when it, he, like Dan mentioned earlier, he came close to joining Man City the last time and it was the same thing where he was like, okay, well, show me that this club, by me staying, we can compete. And I mean, Spurs did go out and they got Antonio Conte and I thought, like, just off his previous track record, like Spurs will win something, whether it's the FA Cup or the Premier League or a European trophy. I, I thought they'd be pretty nailed on that they would lift a trophy under Antonio Conte, and it hasn't really worked out. And I mean, they've also spent a lot of money like in the last what eighteen months, two years since that as well. So I don't think it's really for lack of trying on Spurs' part that Kane uh, is still kind of waiting on that trophy and maybe he kind of sees that that faith that the club have shown and that an effort is being made and sometimes it's just really hard to win win trophies <laughs> in the in England especially um, there's so many good teams out there that it's it's not easy to even a, a League Cup um, is it's a tough trophy to pick up so maybe from Kane's point of view he might not be mental, he might just see it as, oh, you know what, if I stick with this, if they show the same kind of faith going forward, then then I can win something. But I think maybe a lot of it might come down to, to what happens with Conte as well in the summer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we don't really know if he's going to be there next season. If he's not, who could replace him? Does Kane then say, oh, I'm starting all over again? And maybe he will just in the summer then decide. Because he would he would have, what, a, a year left in the summer if he lets his contract Yeah, in. exactly. And I guess they'd want to cash in then rather than rather than lose him for nothing. So, I mean, you should be happy though, Matt. It's a good thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much because I've been <laughs> quite disappointed about it. But no, I am. I would obviously be delighted if he, if he signed a new deal. Um, elsewhere, do we think we might see anything else from Chelsea, Dan? We spoke earlier about them maybe towing the line. Does Todd Bowley even know what FFP regulations are? Because <laughs> I feel like someone's going to tell him soon and he's going to be like, what? I What's love this, man. Todd Bowley, yeah, best yeah. thing that's ever happened to the Premier League. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Honestly, Moises Casado has been talked about and there was also rumours about going back in Frenzo Fernandez. We're talking about another 100 million to add on to the 400 they've already spent. <laughs> mm, yeah. How deep are this guy's pockets? I've seen magicians with uh, shallower pockets than Todd Bowley. So yeah, I, I guess that's the that's the question, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Moises Casado, like I think they probably do need a centre mid, um, and Enzo Fernandez is back on the radar as well. Apparently today, isn't he? Won well, the, the big Portuguese paper record. I think I've got a story that Chelsea is still keen on him. Um, I, I wonder if Chelsea are, in terms of FFP, kind of like spending while they still can in a way um, bef- because they're not going to be in the Champions League next season I think it's pretty safe to assume that so they're just 
lashing the cash now, trying to get a decent squad together um, before their income starts to take a bit of a hit when they're not in the Champions League and they can justify it at this point and then build towards getting back into the Champions League the following season. I think Brighton, what they wanted like 55 million for Caicedo in the summer. And I think they probably want a lot more than that for him now. And I think what Chelsea are going to find is that because they've shown willingness to pay over the odds for players, that that's it. Them yeah. now. They're going to pay over the odds for every player that they try and sign now. Um, they've really painted themselves into a corner there. And that's that's going to be a bit of a, uh, a rude awakening for Bowley as well, I think. But uh, yeah, just let them spend as much as they want, as far as I'm concerned. It's quite entertaining, so keep it up. <laughs> Real life fantasy manager. Um, talking about smaller sums of money, though. <laughs> Podrig, your your Celtic have lost Juranovic to Union Berlin, seven point five million. Is that enough for him, in your humble opinion? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> um, ah, yeah, he, he had a long time left in his contract, so I thought they could have got more. Um, I thought he would actually would have went to a bigger team than that as well. To be honest, um, he looked he always looked a really good player in his first season. So, yeah, surprised that he's now a, a neighbour of ours in Berlin. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought as well, like, especially when players have a good World Cup that seems to be growing interest, a lot more money could be spent on them. Um, and just, yeah, seven and a half seems really small for this for this day and age. Yeah, I mean, I just I thought there was a lot of big teams that either they were looking for a, a right back to start or a right back just to act as cover. I thought like uh, Chelsea were one. I mean, we could have took 40 million off Chelsea for Juranovic if, <laughs> if we'd have known. Um, Man United probably could have done with one, maybe Dortmund, but then I guess he's kind of replacing the replacement at Dortmund. Um, Atletico Madrid, you know, I thought there was quite a few teams out there, um, but maybe maybe he's not as good as we thought he was. Um, but yeah, uh, surprising, but oh well. <laughs> Um, and we'll end today actually with a question thanks uh, so much to Yogeshwar for getting in touch on the email of course podcast at onefootball.com uh, he said hello lads Phil Costa's Twitter is screaming for him to be the Arsenal rep on this podcast no offence to Lewis are we going to have some sort of Lewis versus Phil Arsenal off to see who's <laughs> more diehard or should we just read out their tweet their Twitter um, Twitter feeds from the weekend's worth of action because I'm going to be honest it's quite entertaining when they win <laughs> Yeah, go on. What, what have they been saying? Um, oh, they've just—I haven't got them all in front of me, but they've just been waffling about how how great everything is. And then Lewis throws up a nice little picture every now and then, and yeah, they've, they've got a little bit of an Arsenal fan club going on. I'm so um, used to Arsenal fans just being unrelentingly miserable that I just—it doesn't feel yeah. right, does it, for yeah. them to be happy? It's kind of annoying. Arsenal actually. fans for me seem to be like the the king of online content. Like, there's lots of content around different clubs, and every club has their own fanzine and podcast and this, that, and the other. But for Arsenal, it's like there's more than the rest. It's like every single person creates online content for Arsenal. Just a variation of their They're name. Just posting on Twitter, though. It's not. Uh... <laughs> no, there's more. There's <laughs> more right. than I've seen. Not just those two, by the way. There's, oh, right. there's I a lot of No, 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 not Philip. I know which job they do. They work with us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the question actually from Yogeshwa was um, we'll direct this to you, Dan. Uh, will Guardiola or Arteta be willing to not play their hand and field a kids' 11 uh, for the FA Cup tie this weekend? So maybe not give away too much ahead of ahead of the both games they've still got to play each other in the Premier League. I think it's, it's an interesting game, this one, in terms of. Um, the perspective that both teams will have on it. I think Arsenal will 
couldn't care less about this game, really. I think for them, you know, obviously as a club that has won the FA Cup more times than any other, then they're always going to have a, it's always going to have a bit of a soft spot for them, I guess. But in this season, the way it is, the way that they have such a great opportunity to win the league now. If I was Arteta, I'd be thinking, if we go out of this cup, like, who cares? Like, let's just remove another distraction. Whereas for City, this might be our best chance of winning the trophy this season, the way things are going. I mean, obviously, we've seen an upturn in form in the last couple of games, but um, it's looking quite unlikely that we'll win the win the Premier League. And I would say, therefore, quite unlikely that we'll win the Champions League this year. So for City, I would say, not necessarily go full strength. I think he'll, he'll swap out the goalkeeper, um, maybe play that Ruben Diaz is coming back to fitness. Um, maybe Cole Palmer will get a start, Rico Lewis, a couple of young lads like that. But it'll be a pretty strong team. Whereas for Arsenal, I think they might see this one as a chance to really rest some of their key players. And if they go out, they go out. I don't think it's that big a deal for them at all in the grand scheme of things. Maybe that maybe that youngster Phil Foden will get a game. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, maybe. If, if his foot injury is <laughs> healed by then anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that foot injury. Uh, right, we're going to end on a joke today that uh, someone sent me in on Twitter. A friend of mine sent me in on Twitter and uh, he said, go on, air it. Give it give it some radio time. We'll see if anyone laughs. I don't think it's is that it safe, funny. Matt? Is it, is it, it's not going to get us cancelled. It's it, yeah. safe for work. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not going to get us cancelled. It's not It's not Joel and his takes on Anthony Taylor. It's nothing like that. <laughs> uh, it just requires very, very niche knowledge of football and the Berlin underground. So oh, the God. joke is, although it's probably more apt for Chelsea fans at the minute, uh, why do Man City fans hate the Berlin underground? Go on. Um, because of the FFP rules. Oh, my God. Some of those who we... We might have to explain it. FFP, the financial fair play, and the FFP2 masks that everyone in Berlin still needs to wear on transport yeah. for, I think, a few more weeks. I think Another the beginning of February. Yeah. No more masks. There no you go. Jokes. We've called it out on the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you really, if you've got a joke that's worse than that, that's football related, by all <laughs> means, send them in. Tweet us at OneFootball. Email us podcast at onefootball.com. That brings to an end on a on a rather low note. What has been quite an interesting <laughs> and entertaining podcast. <laughs> uh, thank you so much to Podrick and Dan for joining me. I hope you've all enjoyed listening um, or watching, even which you can do now as well. Um, that's all from us, though. We will be back towards the end of the week previewing some FA Cup action and all all the other nonsense that Chelsea have been up to in the transfer window, I'm sure. But until then, we will see you guys next time.